Thanksgiving. Wow, can you believe it? And it'll be Christmas before you know it. Woohoo! Yeah, even in the midst of all the crazy and weird times that we're living, hey, Thanksgiving and Christmas, we can we can celebrate. I trust that you're not going to let any of what's going on take the joy out of your heart. And uh, we're just talking even this morning and how much we have to be thankful for. It doesn't matter um, that you have to wear a mask, we have to wear a mask, all that stuff. It's, it's great that we can be gathered together. And I got to say this morning, um, Marion Davis, who's not here, and we don't celebrate every birthday, but today is her 93rd birthday. Yeah, so Marion, if you're watching, and I believe you are, happy birthday to you, 93, yeah, wow. I, I should ask, is anybody else close? Uh, you don't have to admit that, yeah. Uh, I'm a long ways off from that, and, uh, but wow. That's, uh, that's great. And uh, hey, we want to give an update. The last that we knew from Lee Cleaver is, are you close, Dave? Is that what you're saying? <laughs> Sometimes, yeah. Feeling, yeah, that's right. Um, Lee Cleaver, still in ICU at Regional Hospital Scranton on a ventilator, and they are planning sometime this week, unless... Uh, things improve significantly to uh, do a tracheotomy, which relieves some of the pressure on the lungs. When you're on a ventilator that long, it's not a good thing. There are possibilities of things that can uh, create other issues. So that's the plan for the time being. So remember to be praying for Lee and Colleen. Colleen's doing much better um, but uh, Lee is still um, not out of the woods, and we need to really be crying out to God for him. I trust that, that you will do that. Um, oh, you know, we mentioned two weeks ago Paul's birthday. Scott's was today is John Mark's birthday, and they're, they're away. But, yeah, so uh, he's not even close to 93. But, uh, man, oh, man, has no idea what that's like. But... Anyway, so today we wrap up our study on the Christian armor, and uh, we've been dealing with uh, the belt of truth, the breastplate of righteousness, the feet fitted with the preparation of the gospel of peace, the shield of faith. Today we're going to deal with the helmet of salvation of the sword of the spirit. And uh, a couple of weeks ago, we sang a song, and I have the words up on the don't worry, I'm not going to sing. But it is hard that when you do this, and I'll, I'll give you the words, but it, I know this song so well, and you do too, uh, that sometimes it will sound like I should sing it. But, re, you know, it's okay, I won't. If I do, just say, man, you sound great. Wow. All right, so in this time of desperation, when all we know is doubt and fear, sounds like they wrote that this last week right? Um, there is only one foundation we believe, we believe. In this broken generation, when all is dark, you help us see there is only one salvation we believe, 
we believe. And then you remember this, we believe in God the Father, we believe in Jesus Christ, we believe in the Holy Spirit and he's given us new life. We believe in the crucifixion, we believe that he conquered death, we believe in the resurrection and he's coming back again, we believe, hallelujah, right? Huh? Those are great things. A creed put to music, a song. And we sang this song a couple of weeks ago when we were dealing with the belt of truth and the breastplate of righteousness. And I share it again today because what we believe is critical to victory over the devil and his forces of evil. Absolutely critical. And a significant part of these last two pieces of the Christian armor has to do with what we believe. Now, Paul didn't write these to group them together as we have. We've just put them together in that way. But it's been amazing to me as I've studied how there's, there's a link, there's a closeness. And as we look at these two today, we're going to see that as we get into the Word of God. What we believe comes from where? Hello? <laughs> Yes, the Bible, the Word of God. That's the foundation, the basis for what we believe. It's not opinion. It's not good books and praise God for great books that are written from the perspective of biblical truth, but we believe what we believe comes from the Word of God, the Bible. And in the Bible, God says that when we believe, the gospel of Jesus Christ. Our sins are forgiven. We are no longer enemies of God. But when we believe, we are made children of God. Huh? And if you're a child of God today, it's because you believe that Jesus died in your place for your sins. That's it. That's what we believe. And that's because the Bible teaches us. And, and when we talk about that, we're no longer enemies of God. We become children of God. We call that salvation. Salvation. And Jesus tells us that once we are forgiven and once we receive the gift of salvation, we will never lose that salvation. Now, that's a thing people struggle with and can struggle with for years. And, and there's all kinds of reasons as to why, but bottom line, we simply need to believe what God says. And when we do, we are saved. We are forgiven. We are delivered from the power of sin and given the freedom to overcome sin. And we call the fact that once we're saved, we're always saved. We call that the assurance of salvation. We call it the hope of our salvation. Sometimes we call it, especially when we're in a funeral situation, the blessed hope that Jesus is coming again after it's all over. When Jesus finishes up and and we have that hope of salvation that we will one day be with God forever in heaven. Now, God has also given us the Bible to use as we stand against the schemes 
of the devil. We've been talking about that. We're not fighting against flesh and blood, folks. We're fighting against the evil forces of darkness, spiritual wickedness in high places, the devil and his armies. Remember, when we say his armies, his minions, his demons, whatever, because the devil is not everywhere. He's not like God. He is not all-powerful. He is not everywhere present at once, on the present like God is. And he doesn't know all things. He is not omniscient. We sometimes think that way. We sometimes know the devil's powerful. He absolutely is. But he's not like God, folks. And so he has an army of demons, evil forces that are at work. We saw that earlier in verses 11 and 12 and 13. And, and he's out to get us, Satan, like a roaring lion, First Peter 5, 7 and 8. So we have to be ready. But as we understand that, God has given us the Bible to use as we stand against the devil's schemes. And if we're going to do that, we've got to know it and we've got to apply it. We've got to know it and use it. It's one thing to know it. It's another thing to use it. As you've heard me say often, end of Matthew 7, when we read about the wise man and the foolish man, the only difference between the two, they both had the same information. The wise man was wise because he obeyed what he knew to be true, what God said. The foolish man was foolish because he knew the same stuff the wise man knew, and he ignored it. So it's like the only difference between the wise and the foolish is not doing what we know to be true. That makes you foolish. And as we stand today and talk about these last two pieces of armor, if we are going to benefit from and use all of the armor that we've talked about, and especially these last two pieces, we must believe what God says and apply it as we stand against the devil and his forces of evil. So I would simply say it this way. Believe what God says and apply it. You got to know. You got to know the truth. It's one thing to say, you know, driver's tests. You've all been there, right? And you get the manual and you read it and study it and try to memorize it and learn it so you can pass the written test and then you get in the car with those wonderful people I want to be careful in case there's somebody here who is one of those people, nice people. And, uh, you know, they, they, they drive you around and, and, you know, and then they decide whether or not you get your license. And if you don't know the manual, you can't apply the law, right? That's the way it is. So as we talk about the word of God and the armor, if we don't know it, we can't do it. So we got to believe it, we got to know it, and we got to do what it says. Apply that biblical truth. So would you please open your Bibles with me to Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 17. Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 17. And um, as we look at this today, Simply put, we're going to talk about these two pieces of armor, the last two that are mentioned, Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 17, and here's how Paul ends. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. The helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Now, I think the helmet of salvation 
has to do with our assurance, our assurance of salvation. That's not the only thing, but I think that's a significant part of it. And so as we talk about the helmet of salvation, we're going to zero in on this whole business of the assurance of salvation. Now, Charles Spurgeon, um, who was uh, for 38 years the pastor of the Metropolitan Tabernacle in uh, London, London, England, and he was uh, quite a theologian. He was an amazing preacher known as the Prince of, Prince of Peach. Preachers, I'll get that one out. It's like a, yeah, one of those things that ties up your tongue. But so he said this um, Soldiers, look to your heads. A wound in the head is a serious matter. Since the head is a vital part, we need to well protect it. Now, this is written in the 1800s, so some of the language is of that vintage era, right? So you'll understand. We need to well protect it. The heart needs to be guarded with the breastplate. We talked about that a couple of weeks ago. Uh, But the head needs just as much protection. The head is peculiarly liable to the temptations of Satan, of self, and of fame. The head is liable to attacks from skepticism. But the head... The head is very greatly in danger from attacks of personal unbelief. Skepticism can be doubt, right? And, and then the attacks of personal unbelief. Some believers are attacked by the threatenings from the world, but there's no danger to the man who has his helmet on. Soldiers then take care of your heads. Keep on, put on, take up the helmet of salvation. And so as we talk about that this morning, taking the helmet of salvation, that's the way it's worded there in verse 17 as it begins, take the helmet of salvation. Better, more accurately read would be take the helmet which is salvation. Now, he's not saying get saved. Why? Because he's already talking to these believers in the church at Ephesus who know Jesus, who are saved, who have been delivered, who are forgiven, who did believe that Jesus died in their place for their sin and salvation has come. And that's, so what are we then? What is this salvation? Well, I believe the idea here and and of taking the helmet, which is salvation, there's a sense of urgency in the language there. When the enemy approaches, you grab your helmet. There's a sense of security and assurance when your head is protected, you grab the helmet and put it on. Now, if you've ever played football, you understand what that is. You would never think of going into a game and leave your helmet on the sidelines. You'd Maybe if you'd gotten hit in the head a few times and forgot to put the helmet on, but you wouldn't want, why? Because your head needs to be protected. That's why when a player gets injured in a football game and he's not going to, if he gets, if they say his bell rung, he gets a concussion or he goes into the concussion protocol, they take his helmet away from him. The, the team manager or somebody grabs his helmet and walks away with it. They take it away from the player. Why? Because the player won't go into the game without his helmet. So that way they assure, hey, you're injured, you're hurt, you may want to get back in the game, but we got your helmet, you're not going in. Now there's all kinds of ways we can look at it. The same thing is true with ice hockey. If you're an ice hockey fan, years ago, they didn't wear helmets in ice hockey. 
but in our safety conscious culture in which we live, now they do it. And those players would never think of getting into a hockey game without the helmet on. How about the boxers? Have you ever watched boxers practicing? They call it sparring. They put on a whole headset. Why? Because while they're practicing to fight, they don't want to get punched in the head and lose their consciousness or well-being, whatever. So they've got that headgear on. Or how about your kids? I, I don't know how I have made it to 67, almost 68, because I can't tell you how many hours I rode a bicycle without a helmet on. Now, I'm not mocking that, but folks, it's like you wouldn't even think about that. I think it's a law, maybe even. You have, kids have to wear bike helmets, motorcycle helmets, right? We wouldn't think, why? Because that's, that, that protects you. The helmet of salvation gives you the safety and security that we need. It protects our head, which is crucial. We have trusted Jesus Christ for salvation, deliverance and forgiveness from the penalty and power of sin. And when God declares us to be righteous, we already looked at that. He says before him, we are standing right in him. Jesus became sin for us so that we've been forgiven. The word is justification declared righteous before God. And when we stand before him secure, protected with a sense of security and a guaranteed salvation, we don't need to fear anything. We are eternally secure and can stand firm as we face the attacks of Satan, the devil, the evil one, and his forces. We can stand before and face whatever battle comes our way secure and confident. Why? Because we've put on the assurance of that salvation. Once we know Jesus, once we've believed, we are saved for good forever. Confidence. You know what that's like? It's kind of like watching the replay on TV of your favorite game. I'm talking, I know I'm talking, I won't talk football. Let's say basketball, all right? Doesn't matter, whatever. You might, you might be a figure skating person and your favorite figure skater wins and you want to watch the replay. And you, Whatever it is, when you watch the replay, you know the outcome. So if my favorite team wins and I watch the replay, guess what? They're going to win again, right? I don't even have to, like if it's live, Oh, man, I'm up and down and yelling and jumping and turning around and screaming. But the replay, it's like, eh, that, that may go against my team, but I know in the end they're going to win. Listen, that's the kind of confidence that we have in our salvation when we believe. I have, one, I have a verse for you here. Psalm 140 and verse 7. Sovereign Lord, my strong deliverer, you shield my head in the day of battle. That's pretty cool. I'd never seen that before. I'd encourage you to read all the first seven verses. Read the whole Psalm, Psalm 140. It's all in context there and see the protection and the power and the assurance that we have in Jesus Christ. 
And, and, and I want to share some other passages of the scripture. I'm not going to go through all of these here today, but write down John 6, 37 to 39. You want, these are just a few of the multitude of verses that talk about the assurance of our salvation when you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, when you know you believe Jesus died in your place for your sin. You are guaranteed that salvation. That's why we call it eternal life, everlasting life. Those words mean never ending, right? But John 6, 37 to 39, John 10, 28 to 29, excellent verses on the assurance of salvation. Let me write, give you one more because it's come to mind. 1 John chapter 5, verses 11, 12, and 13. 1 John chapter 5, verses 11 to 13. And you could go on, but those are a great section of Bible teaching that will give you an assurance. But the fact of the matter is, when you believe, you can be confident. Now, I want us to look at Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8. And um, this is an amazing passage, verses 31 to 39. I'm not going to look at all those verses, but uh, you want to talk about the assurance, the guarantee. Put on the helmet of salvation because the devil is going to attack you with doubt. He's going to bring things that you're going to, somebody's going to question, all of a sudden you find yourself not believing what you've always been taught, questioning, and, and you're, you're a little bit skeptical. Wait a minute, is that really true? That's why we read God's word and accept what it says. We believe. And here's what Paul says in Romans chapter 8, verses 31 to 39, but just picking out a couple of those, all in the same context, so you'll see it, it's all there, but look at verse 31. Wow. What shall, what then shall we say in response to these things if God is for us, who can be against us? Talk about a battle verse. You, you, you want something to go into battle with? If God is for you, who can be against you? Verse 35, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? When God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son, his one and only son, Jesus, that whoever believes in him will not perish, but will, will not perish, will not be eternally separated from God and have everlasting life everlasting, never-ending, eternal life. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? It's one of those rhetorical questions. The answer is nothing. But he goes on and he says, shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? And if I had verse 36 up there, it would say, or COVID, <laughs> or masks, all you name it, nothing. And then we go down to verse 37. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us, Jesus. Nothing can separate us from the love of Christ. 
for I am convinced that neither death, now he gives more stuff, death, nor life, neither angels, nor demons, neither the present, nor the future, nor any powers, shall neither height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation. Paul just wants to make sure that after he's given that list, that somebody doesn't come, hey, well, what about? And instead he says, nor anything else in all creation. He's covering it all. Will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Hallelujah, huh? That's one of those times I should let out the war hoop, but I won't do that this morning. But there it is. Folks, the devil will do all he can to attack your mind and convince you that what you've believed is a bunch of baloney and what we need to understand, the helmet of salvation will protect us from the devil's attacks on our mind and our thoughts, protect us from unbelief and doubt and skepticism. He won't be whispering, oh, he'll be whispering in your ear, you just sinned, you're not saved, absolutely not true. You may have just sinned, but we're forgiven. Our salvation is secure, we have assurance. Listen, security is a fact Sometimes we don't feel saved. Life gets tough. We seem to not be able to get victory over a sin in our life. But don't go on the feeling because the fact is once you know Jesus, once you understand Jesus died in your place for your sin and you say, God, I believe the blood of Jesus has paid the penalty for my sin and I'm forgiven and delivered and saved. Amen. That's it. It's not a feeling because Jesus did it all. He paid it all once and for all. Take the helmet, which is salvation. And secondly, take the sword of the Spirit. Take the sword of the Spirit. Paul says this in verse 17 about the helmet of salvation, and then he says, take, and that word applies to both, the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. It's the helmet and the sword. You're, you're, if you're out in the battle lines, and you're there, and as the Roman army was all ready to go, they were camped, they would walk around with their, their, all their armor on, all the things, their feet would be ready, the breastplate would be on, the belt of truth, they would have that but they may not be at that moment have the sword in their hands. It might be in its sheath and on their side and, and the helmet may be laying on the side. It's kind of like going back to that football game. The helmet comes off when the players get on the sidelines. They just put it down or put it on a little on the bench or wherever it may be. And, but man, when they're ready to go and they get the run and grab it and for the warrior, the soldier, he runs and grabs, he's got his sword there, he gets his helmet and puts it on and ready to go. And that's the urgency. When you're going to battle, you've got to have the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. The sword which is given to us by the Spirit is what Paul is talking about there. The sword to be grabbed just before the attack of the devil. 
The sword that allows us to be defensive, also offensive as necessary, but really the armor that's listed here is defensive. And as we fight off the attack of Satan with the truth of the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Now, I have a couple of other scriptures here that that I'll share with you as as it relates. Hebrews 4.12, the Word of God is alive and powerful. You can read on. Check that one out. Write it down and look it up later on. But the word that's used, the word for word that's used here in verse 17 isn't talking about the whole Bible. There are different words that are used to refer to the word of God or the Bible. That word is not the word that's typically used to refer to the whole Bible. It's a word that would refer to the spoken or applied words of God as the Holy Spirit brings them to our mind as we remember the word of God that we've already hidden in our heart and we're in a situation where we need the truth of God to stand against the lies of the devil and God brings to mind, boom. Have you ever had that happen? You remember, oh, I learned that scripture. Here it is, wham, We get that sword of the Spirit, and that's the idea of the word that's used here. We need the sword to combat the enemy's assault just like Jesus did when he was tempted by the devil in the wilderness. He didn't quote the whole Bible. He didn't pull out the Bible and bang it over the devil's head. He quoted scripture, and we're going to look at that. So please keep your place there in Ephesians 6, but look at Matthew chapter 4. Matthew chapter 4. Because I want you to understand, this is why we've got to know the Bible. We've got to know what God says so that when we need the truth, we have it at our fingertips ready to use as needed at an appropriate moment when it comes. So here it is in Matthew chapter 4, starting at verse 1. And some of you will remember this account of Jesus being tested or tempted by Satan. Then Jesus, Matthew 4, 1, was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. The tempter came to him, that's the devil, and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Satan's trying to tempt Jesus to use his power in in ways that aren't what they were intended to be for. And what's Jesus do? Jesus answered. Look at this. It is written. What's he doing? He's taken a specific piece, a verse of scripture, portion of the Bible, and he is applying it to Satan's temptation at that moment. It is written, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Satan, Jesus responds to the devil with Bible truth. Verse 5, then the devil took him to the holy city, Jerusalem that is, and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the son of God, he said, throw yourself down, for it is written, now the devil is quoting scripture, hey, he knows the truth. 
He will command his angels concerning you and they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against the stone. And Jesus answered him in verse 7. It is also written. Here's here's another passage from the Bible I'm going to give you. I'm, I'm standing against the attack of Satan. Do not put the Lord your God to the test. See how Jesus was responding? Yeah, just like on the, the, the song says about Jesus on the cross, he could have called 10,000 angels. He could have done what Satan. Uh, he didn't need to. He quotes scripture, don't put the Lord your God to the test. Satan, knock it off. Verse 8, again the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All this I will give you, he said, if you will bow down and worship me. You see, that's all the devil wants. He wants power. That's why he got kicked out of heaven. He wanted power and authority. He was full of pride and and Jesus was like, you're gone, out of here. And a third of the angels in heaven went with him. Those are the demons. Verse 10, Jesus said to him, away from me, Satan, for it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Love the Lord your God with all your heart. The Lord our God is one God. Serve him only. We stand against Satan, the devil, and his forces just like Jesus did. We tell the devil the truth of what God says. It is written. It is not reciting some magical formula that we we just seem to put together. No, we get specific truth from the Bible for specific instance that we're facing. You may be tempted to sin. Whatever it may be, Psalm 119, verse 11, your word have I hid in my heart. Have I put there so that I know it? Why? Why do I put God's word in my heart? So that I will not sin against God. You can quote that one to Satan. Hey, no, 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 devil. No, demon, I've got God's word in my heart, and I will not sin against you. And here's how that fits specifically. How about when we're not loving one another? How about what Jesus said in John chapter 13, verses 34 and 35? By this will all men know that you are my disciples, that you are followers of Jesus. Why? How? That you love one another. That's how they'll know. And when we're not loving as we ought, what we ought to do is we ought to repeat to Satan, to the devil, ourselves, and say, man, Jesus said, we'll be known as followers of Jesus by the way we love other believers. And if we're not doing that, we're giving the devil a victory. How about Galatians chapter 6 and verse 1? Brothers, when someone is overtaken in a sin, you who are spiritual, restore that one. 
when we see other brothers and sisters walking in the wrong direction, involving in themselves in sin, you who are spiritual, which should be all of us most of the time, yeah, we sin, but when we do, we go to 1 John 119, and when we admit, when we say the same thing to God about our sin that he does, we confess it, we acknowledge it, and we're cleansed, we're restored to right fellowship, but we need to go and we need to help our brothers and sisters when they're struggling in sin and we need to talk with them. We need to say, listen, what's going on? You're, you're, not, you're not living like God says you should. You're not obedient. You're selfish. You're not loving. Whatever it is, you who are spiritual, you who are walking in the spirit. And we could go on and on and on. But that's taking appropriate Bible truth and using it when the devil attacks, saying, no, 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 Satan, it is written. The helmet of salvation, the sword of the Spirit. Do you believe God and what he says in the Bible? Then apply it. Do you believe God for the forgiveness of sin and salvation. Maybe you're here today and all of this, you've never heard it before or you had, but you've never believed it. And you may be sitting here in need of Jesus Christ and the forgiving, cleansing blood of Christ that can, can remove your sin. The Bible says, take it away as far as the east is from the west and give you a right standing before God. You can be a good person and you can do all kinds of great things. You can give money to churches and, and all kinds of charities. But if you have not believed in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sin, you are not a child of God, you are not a follower of Jesus. The Bible says you are on your way to an eternal hell separated from God. Maybe you're here today and need to believe what the Bible says for salvation. Do you believe the gospel? Do you have, if you're saved, if you know Jesus, you're a believer, you'd say, I know Jesus. Do you have confident assurance of God's work in your life that once you have trusted Christ, you believe that that will never be taken away from you? You need to believe that. All our years in youth ministry, we came across student after student many times who just couldn't get a handle on it. Sometimes it was because they had prayed the prayer. And it hit me one day as we talked with one, one young lady in particular who just over and over and over again would keep praying a prayer and keep praying a prayer and keep praying a prayer and never get victory, never get the confident assurance. And finally, it, 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 it hit me. Wait a minute. When I'd say, so why are you not sure? And the answer I got, not just from her, but from numerous people and adults as well over the years, well, uh, I'm not sure I meant my prayer. Well, that's the problem because meaning a prayer isn't what saves you believing is what saves you putting your faith in Christ alone the blood of Jesus that was shed for you alone on the cross by faith alone in his work that's it 
not in the words that you say for your prayer. A prayer is a means of expressing what you believe, but you're not saved by meaning a prayer. You're saved by believing, period. Paul told the Philippian jailer in Acts chapter 16 and verse 31, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. Amen. How are you using God's truth to defeat the devil in your life? To defeat the, his forces of evil? Are you applying the truth? The truth of what you know? Are you using the truth to defeat the lies of the devil? Because that's all he knows to tell. We overcome the lies of the devil with the truth of God. The devil will attack your mind. Unbelief, doubt, worry, skepticism. But you never need, you never need to doubt God's work of salvation when you believe. You don't, once you believe, that's why Hebrews says that when Jesus was done, he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. See, Hebrews tells us the old way was that daily the priests had to go into the tabernacle or to the temple and offer sacrifices every day for the sins of the people. Jesus did it once, 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 once. How many times, folks? Once for all. Never needed to be done again. What does that tell us? If it never needed to be done again, we're forgiven, period, boom, settled. That's it. And when we believe, it's settled. Never need to doubt God's work of salvation when you believe. And then secondly, you can always stand firm when you apply God's truth against the devil's lies. But you got to know it. Scripture memory seems to be an, a thing of the past. Our want to kids do it. But sometimes I fear we think that, well, that's just a kid's thing. We need, the Bible calls it hiding God's word in your heart. That's memorizing. Because that's how we will stand firm is when we know God's truth so well that boom, when we're facing a temptation, a test to sin, we know God's truth to apply specifically. Against whatever test the devil may bring your way. You can always stand firm when you apply God's truth against the devil's lies the helmet of salvation the sword of the spirit which is the applied truth of God from his word let's pray father thank you that you've provided salvation thank you that we know when we believe that our future is secure forever. That we can be assured, confident in our salvation. 
because you say that's true in the Bible. And God, help us to know your truth, the truth of the Bible, so well that we can apply it when tempted to sin by Satan and his evil forces. Oh God, give us a hunger to know the truth, to be able to say we believe. For it's in Christ's name I pray. Amen.